Freelancing for Journalists is sponsored by The Tax Farm, the accountancy service dedicated to freelancers, the self-employed and small business owners. Imagine no more end-of-year panic or nasty tax surprises. The Tax Farm can't promise that they'll make you less busy, but they can promise to take away the grind of bookkeeping, freeing you up to do what you do best. With a simple fixed fee, they make hiring an accountant easy. They're also offering our listeners an exclusive 15% discount with the code FFJ15. You want to find out more? Then head to thetaxfarm.co.uk. And welcome to Freelancing for Journalists, the podcast that tells you everything you need to know about working for yourself. I'm Emma Wilkinson, a freelance journalist specialising in health and medicine. And I'm Lily Cantor, a freelance money, health and lifestyle journalist. So I think every time we've seen each other on Zoom this week, Lily, which has been a lot because we've been doing lots of teaching of various bits and careers talks and things, we've both seemed a bit frazzled. We've both sort of come onto the Zoom and gone... <sighs> There's kind of an awful lot of balls in the air at the moment uh, and not enough kind of fresh air and exercise, well, for me anyway. So how's this week looking? Are you on top of everything? I think I'm right in saying that you dropped a load of work, but then another <laughs> load of work came along immediately to fill that space. Yeah, it's kind of my own fault. Um, it came out of one of these podcasts, actually, when we had um, some commissioning editors on and they were saying about keeping in touch um, with people you've worked for previously. So I thought, oh, I know, I'll drop a commissioning editor an email and say, hello, don't remember me. Um, and off the back of that, they asked me to do some work um, pretty much straight away, which I didn't actually have capacity to do. Um, but I've said yes anyway. Um, yeah, it's really hard to get it right because you know, I wanted to get some work in for when I am quieter, sort of in the new year. Um, but actually, they wanted me to, to do work straight away when I'm not quiet. So how do you get that balance right? Do you wait until you've got nothing and hope they need you immediately? Or do you do it too soon and then end up with too much work? I don't know. I always seem to end up with too much work. So I'm obviously not getting it right. But are you nice and calm, Emma? Or you're... I'm okay, actually. Yeah, I'm better than it was. And about that balance, I don't know if you ever get it right. I can kind of, I give advice on this all the time, but I don't seem to have got the work-life balance thing completely right. So that's still a work in progress. Um, I was very, very, last week, I had it, everything planned down to the minute and everything was fine and I was going to be doing no evening and weekend working. And then I got one of those or a series of those emails of, we've just got some quick edits on this feature, like stuff that I'd done two weeks previously. Can you just, and had to go back through all my notes and kind of check for all these little details and send extra emails for questions. And yeah, I just, I never seem to plan for that happening. Cause I guess you don't know how much they're gonna come back with edits or when they're gonna come back. It always mm -hmm. seems to be like, they've just sat on it for two weeks and then, oh, can you get me this by Friday? Yeah, oh. it's always straight away, yeah yeah um, but anyway the joys of being a freelancer it's all fine isn't it I'm not going to complain about having lots of work okay so <laughs> shall we move on to our topic this week which is 
uh, starting a newsletter. Um, I think of newsletters as a bit like the new way to blog, but I think that's actually a bit of an overly simplistic uh, explanation of it. It is really clear to me that there's been a huge growth in newsletters, even this year, kind of covering a wide range of topics. And I've signed up to uh, quite a few this year that I really look forward to kind of appearing in my inbox um, now. So, yeah, it's just something we wanted to talk about. Yeah, and there's definitely loads more freelance journalists um, doing newsletters now. Um, Emma and I started our own one recently, and we had talked about this kind of right at the beginning of the first lockdown, sort of had drinks on Zoom, and we came up with our big master plan of things we wanted to do to take over the freelancing world. Um, And part of that was a newsletter, but um, we kind of ended up doing loads of other things, and the newsletter sort of got pushed to the bottom of the list. Yeah, we didn't have, I think because we were launching so many things at once, it's just that, you know, only two pairs of, four pairs of hands, two pairs of hands, four hands, four hands, <laughs> um, So yeah, so, but then when we were getting ready to launch series three of the podcast, we decided to kind of just jump in and go for it um, because there'd been a bit of a gap between series. So we wanted to bring people up to date with what we were doing. And we had lots of other resources and advice um, and new projects. And we we needed an easy way to share that information. So it seemed kind of the natural fit. Yeah, and ours is um, a free newsletter. And obviously, we've already got a kind of built-in audience in a way. We've got our podcast listeners, um, our Facebook group. So that's been really useful. But I know for a lot of people, they're kind of starting from scratch. Um, And today we've got two guests with us who have um, recently launched newsletters and they're going to help us unpick what works best, whether you can make money from it and what the other benefits can be of starting your own newsletter. Yeah, so I'm excited to chat to them. But before we bring them in, let's start with our top tips. So, Lily, what's your key bit of advice on newsletters? Well, I have to say, I've pinched mine from somebody else. Um, I went to a really good webinar about um, newsletters and they gave a really good tip, which was if you have an existing audience like a Facebook community, then to use your um, membership questions as a way of getting people to sign up for a newsletter. So that's what we started doing with ours. So it's not at all... Um, you know mandatory obviously people have a choice but when they um, sign up for our Facebook group there is a question there would you like to receive our free newsletter if so please fill in your email address and then we can automatically sign them up and I just think that's a really handy way of getting people to sign up it makes it easy for them it it flags up your newsletter to them Um, so that would be my top tip yeah, I mean, that has worked for us as the person who's kind of been recently doing the uh, Facebook community admissions. Um, yeah, I would say about ooh, 40% of people who come along sign up to the newsletter as well. Uh, so that's been quite useful. Um, my tip would be to kind of try and develop a format, a regular format, and have that in place kind of as soon as possible, kind of from the beginning. To be honest, I need to take my own advice because ours is still a bit of a work in progress on that front. But we did kind of, from the beginning, plan some regular slots, some regular little um, sections at the bottom to kind of sign off so that um, people kind of knew what to expect. And it, you know, it makes it easier to write, firstly, because you've not just got kind of a blank page. 
and um, but people also know kind of what to expect from the newsletter and they kind of get a sense of what those different sections are so yeah I mean I found that really useful in in writing the newsletter and I hope our readers find that useful as well great right let's bring in our guests so we can really get into the nitty-gritty of this first we have Alistair Lane Alistair is a UK-based freelance journalist. He writes for Forbes, Al Jazeera, NBC News, Vice and others. And he runs the Write at Home Journalist and Writer Jobs newsletter. So hi, Alistair. Hello, good morning. And we also have Lottie Gross. Lottie is a UK-based journalist specialising in travel. She has writing and photography bylines in The Telegraph, The Times, uh, The Independent, National Geographic Traveller, and she's done broadcast work for BBC Radio 4 as well. Uh, she also does uh, some commercial copywriting and um, B2B writing. She's, uh, most importantly, why she's here today, she's the co-writer of the Talking Travel Writing newsletter. Hi, Lottie. Hi, how's it going? Uh, it's very well, thank you. <laughs> right, so we, we want to hear all about your newsletters, but first we're going to get your top tip. Um, so, Alistair, I'm going to start with you. So what is the one thing you'd wish you'd known um, either before you started freelancing or before you started your newsletter? Uh, my, my top tip or my, my one thing, I suppose they're different. Uh, your top tip, give my us your top, top tip. Um, probably, and forgive me if it's a, an all-encompassing philosophy, I think being patient is really important. Uh, I, I started my newsletter um, kind of hoping for a you know exponential spike uh, which would just keep going and going and going and it's not the way it works uh, I guess with any subscription based kind of service uh, you have to be patient and there'll be peaks and troughs and within that what I find really helpful what I continue to do is when there are troughs and when you get a notification email saying somebody's unsubscribed uh, I just drop them a little line saying uh, I see that you've you've unsubscribed Firstly, is there anything I can do, uh, you know, to try and keep you on board? And if not, do you have any kind of pointers which um, you could recommend to me to, to make my my service better, which might have kept you on board had it been possible? And a lot of the times people say, you know, just we've had a change of circumstances or X, Y and Z. But I have had some really, really good constructive criticism, which I wouldn't have got had I not asked uh, my, my unsubscribers for their advice. So I, I say that's that's a good thing to do. Uh, cater for your your unsubscribers as well as your subscribers. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back and ask you lots about what some of that feedback was. I think that'll be really useful to our listeners. Um, Lottie, could I just get your top tip first? What's your key bit of advice? Maybe something you've kind of learned along the way. Uh, yeah, so yes, uh, do your research into the platforms that you can use. We. I think moved three times, two or three times before we settled on Substack um, with our newsletter. But um, I, I run the newsletter with a colleague of mine, Steph Dyson. So um, she was very much in charge of the, the platforms that we were going to use in the beginning. And we just found as we were going along that um, the platform she'd been used to using wasn't necessarily exactly what we needed for this newsletter. Um, and so we ended up moving our subscriber list to another platform. And then we realized that that also wasn't quite um, working for us. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we ended up we ended up moving to Substack, which was great because our, our, um, 
and delivery rate shot up. I think the other platforms were, um, there's a lot of confusing technology behind newsletters. And so it pays to understand a little bit about spam filters um, and then how the actual technology works um, so that you can make the decisions on which is the best platform to use. So we finally settled on Substack, but um, it took us a little while to get there and, and we probably wasted way more time than we needed to um, just trying to find out which, which tech was best for us. That's really interesting that, yeah, it's not just research about whatever the topic of your newsletter is going to be, but about the technology you're going to use. Um, yeah, I hadn't really thought of it like that. And we just used Substack straight away because we were like, everyone used Substack, seems quite good. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's that's really interesting. Okay, Alistair, I'm going to come back to you. Can you tell us a bit more then about your newsletter, sort of how you got the idea and, and how you got it going? Mm -hmm. um, well, it, it really came from my own personal circumstances. Uh, so I, I went freelance about two years ago I, and things were pretty good for about 18 months. Then at the start of this year, uh, things started to... to Go downhill in terms of commissions and whatnot so i was just finding more and more of my week was scouring the internet and you know social media and job sites looking for jobs and look, or looking for you know editors to pitch or you know more more kind of substantial roles uh, then after a while I, I realized i was investing so much time in this that uh, why, why not offer it to other people and you know what, what, what why not it was initially a kind of a, a mark of solidarity with other journalists then I realized I was spending so much time that I might as well be getting paid for it uh, and so I, I guess that's how it started um, there were other similar newsletters out there which I wasn't actually a subscriber to it was funny it was when I I thought why, why don't I offer this as a newsletter then I, I looked around and realized there were some other ones which are fantastic and but they just weren't hitting all the bases that I felt personally I I wanted. So that was um, sort of freelance editors asking for pitches from journalists in specific topics, uh, sort of more permanent journalistic roles, you know, kind of still remote, still work from home, but, you know, maybe a contract, a rolling kind of contract. And then as I think we all in this podcast do a little bit of commercial work, a bit of commercial content writing and copywriting, so I thought if I can just condense that all in one place um, and, and curate it a little bit, you know, sort of describe the role in my own words, uh, cut out all the kind of extraneous language that, that job adverts have, I, I thought people would be interested in it. And, and I was right. My, the, the, the interest was quick and, and substantial very early on. And that was in, I think, July so yeah, well, about four to five months later, it, it's still ticking along. Um, I, I've introduced a, a, a payment system. So you get a, a month for free, then uh, you, you pay um, either 350 a month or 33 pounds a year, which works out about 65p a week. Uh, and I, I feel it's a, an honest price and I get a lot of good feedback from it. So it's going well. I would say it's definitely still emphasis on the patient thing. Uh, I think we all need to be very patient with newsletters and, and take the good days and the bad days in terms of the, the, the little graph of subscribers. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty happy with where it is and I'm hopeful for the future. That's really great. I mean, I think um, Lily and I have both been impressed, kind of we followed the other you know jobs new like the big kind of jobs newsletters that are out there 
And I do remember kind of Lily, I think she might have actually posted to you at the time on our, it might have been in our Facebook group yeah, about was. kind of what extra, um, you know, your newsletter might bring kind of given that there's quite a lot in this. Um, and I kind of had the same thought, but we both had to completely eat our words because we really love your newsletter and we both subscribe. So <laughs> you definitely found you. your niche. That was the thing. Yeah, I must admit, I remember when you posted on our Facebook group and I, I did say, but there's already other newsletters. Oh, another one. Yeah, was it Brenda from Bristol? No, no, no. Yeah, and I must admit, I was sceptical. But when I saw your newsletter and how extensive it is and how actually you were targeting um, a lot more journalism um, calls, not just kind of broader writing. I mean, I know you say you've got the copywriting section you, and you do cover these different sections, but I, I did suddenly see that, yeah, actually there's loads of stuff here that's not been covered elsewhere. Um, so yeah, we were, we were really impressed with that and yeah, had to eat our words, as Emma said. <laughs> um, look, sorry. Well, I was going to say, Lottie, which, same question to you. Am I right in thinking that this was also kind of a project that was born out of frustrations in 2020, let's say? Yeah, I mean, I think, so the the whole idea of, um, the whole concept of the newsletter is essentially to sort of demystify the travel media. It's quite a closed book industry. Getting into travel writing is quite difficult. On my own experience, um, almost a decade ago now, trying to get into travel writing um, was quite difficult um, and a bit disconcerting at times. Um, so it was, it's something that's been sort of playing on my mind um, for a good few years now, the idea of, you know, we need to make this industry more accessible, we need to make it more open, and I feel like there needs to be a better community here, and there just isn't that right now. Um, but equally, um, it's it felt like this year in particular was the time to do it. I think most travel writers come, you know, April were having an existential crisis um, and wondering what we've all been doing with our lives and how we've all ended up just ultimately unemployed um, by April and May this year. Um, so, and I, I knew that I was struggling and I was having my own sort of existential crisis. And I knew that all of the other travel writers I know are probably going through exactly the same thing. Um, and a lot of the WhatsApp groups I was in and a lot of the um, the Facebook groups I was in were, was, you know, there was a lot of conversation around this. And I just thought, um, you know, this is, this is the time for us to actually get together and have a, a proper um, conversation about it and, and be open with each other and, you know, that, the newsletter essentially was my way of doing that, I suppose. And what kind of response have you had to the newsletter? What kind of feedback have you had? Um, it's it's been amazing. I've been absolutely blown away. Within we we announced that we were launching it. We hadn't even sent anything out yet, and we announced that we were launching it. And we had four hundred subscribers within a week, um, just just by saying I'm going to launch a newsletter about travel writing. Um, on Twitter, <laughs> which was kind of insane. Um, and, and you know, like Alistair said, I sort of, I hoped that it might grow exponentially, but obviously it didn't. Um, but we had, you know, we had a really, really, really amazing response from people. And when the first newsletter went out, um, the replies and, and the, the people sharing it on Twitter, they were all really lovely. And I think it's, I realized then that we were filling a gap um, that really, really needed to be filled. Um, and I'm certain there's more space for more newsletters about travel writing. We, we don't need to be the only one. And I know there are other newsletters as well. So um, that's great. But yeah, I think we were certainly filling a bit of a gap um, and, and yeah, hopefully we'll continue to do so. 
And that point about feedback, I mean, something you mentioned earlier, Alistair, is that your sort of unsubscribers, you've had feedback. What sort of things have people been feeding back to you? Well, the first one, I had this uh, really kind of stomach-turning, uh, um, multicoloured uh, approach to the newsletter for some reason. I don't know why. Because I'm actually colourblind. Uh, so maybe it was a, a reflection of a sort of deep-seated insecurity. Uh, yeah, I, I used ridiculous colours because I, I thought people would, would have liked that, but that turned a lot of people off very early. Uh, so thankfully, I, I, I aborted that. Coloured fonts aren't big, they aren't clever. Just just drop them, don't do them. Nobody likes them in a newsletter. Um, then I, I guess more kind of substantively, uh, I, I was actually maybe going a wee bit too comprehensive. I, I like I like to sort of put myself apart from the, the other newsletters, but you know, having lots and lots and lots of job postings and people said, you know, maybe a wee bit too much here. So I've pared it back a little bit and made it more selective. Um, another big sort of bit of feedback, which I'm sure all the jobs newsletters would, would, would attest to is uh, finding jobs which have a specified salary or at least a kind of a, a rate. And that's a very, very difficult thing to do because editors and employers um, obviously, the, the, you know, it's not incumbent on, on them to share how much they're going to pay. It'd be lovely and democratic and, you know, transparent if they did. But, you know, I used to be an editor. I understand there's lots of reasons why you can't just chuck that figure out there because there is a scope uh, and a range based on experience and whatnot. But I, I started really targeting jobs which have a, uh, have a sort of pound and pence figure attached and that that's a big bit of feedback so i'd say yeah more selective and more specific more more focused on on jobs which have a have a salary attached yeah i think that that's i remember actually again when you first started um yeah i remember you used to have like little um question marks next to mm -hmm. um the money and that was a little bit um, yeah, a little bit frustrating when you're looking at the list thinking, but how much do they pay? And I remember the multicolored, colored, yeah, didn't like, didn't like the colors. <laughs> but it's great that you can get that feedback and you, you can just change it and adjust yeah. it. I mean, Absolutely. Lottie, sorry, Lottie, do, do, have you found that you've had feedback and you've adjusted your content along the way? Um, I think, so our, our content, because our, our newsletter started off as fortnightly um, and then we, we now have gone um, weekly with a, a free version and a paid version as well. Um, but I think uh, because our newsletters were, they, we weren't the same format, it wasn't the same thing every single time. Um, so we haven't had as much sort of direct feedback like that. Normally it's sort of people feeding back on a topic um, or just commenting on a topic. Um, we have had a few bits of feedback where people have said, oh, we really, really loved this bit. Can we have more of that? So we did in our first ever newsletter, I think we did a, um, a, a section called Who's Commissioning, where I basically just canvassed all of my freelance travel writer friends and asked them where they'd got commissions recently. Um, and, and then listed, you know, the publications that have been actively commissioning freelancers in the last 10 days or so. Um, and lots of people responded really well to that. And the feedback generally was, can we have more of that? Because I think that's, you know, that particularly during this pandemic, a lot of travel publications stopped commissioning. They were commissioning less. Um, there was just general uncertainty around whether or not it was even worth pitching any travel stories because no one could go anywhere. So that was quite a useful section that we um, included. And I think that that was something that we 
kept coming back to as well because readers responded really well to that. Um, but like I said, our, our content is quite different week to week, especially now that we're on our weekly, um, with our weekly um, format. So um, we haven't had as much sort of direct feedback as Alistair has. Yeah, I mean, how important is it to you? Because I know with um, freelancing for journalists, we're, we're kind of, one of the um, things that we love about it most is that we're in control in kind of, of this project and we can kind of take it in directions that we, we want to and we can drop things that aren't working. And, it, um, you know, there's lots of aspects of other types of, you know, our working lives that we can't have we don't have as much control over so Lottie is that has that been quite important to you especially this year I guess to kind of have that thing that you're in charge of definitely um yeah I think um it is I mean it makes a huge difference to just be able to sort of set my own agenda but equally I I and, and you know, I'm a control freak, I love being in charge, right? Um, <laughs> but um, I, I do want my readers, I, we want our readers to, to be the, the driving sort of uh, force behind the kind of content that we're putting out there. So we've, from the very beginning, we've had a survey um, on Google Forms where people can um, vote for, you know, the bits that, they're, that are really important to them, which topics are really important to them. Um, and, you know, we're always open to people replying and, and responding with suggestions for things that we can cover. Um, and we have we have done that, um, you know, we have been led by our readers. And I think ultimately that the, the mark of a good newsletter, the sign of a good newsletter is one um, that is led by its its readers and their taste for, for content. And you mentioned earlier that you tried kind of different platforms. Um, why did you settle with Substack in the end? Um, so we knew at some point we wanted to go paid and we wanted to obviously make some money from this because we can't just spend, you know, half a day a week um, each on something that doesn't make us any money because otherwise it ends up getting pushed to the back of the to-do list. Um, so we knew we wanted to integrate some sort of payment solution and we looked into doing it through uh, a sort of manual setup between MailerLite and Stripe. And then I think there was another platform we were looking at using that, that didn't work. And then a bunch of other platforms that had their own integrated payment systems. And um, it, it was all quite complicated and confusing. Um, so we ended up settling on Substack because it, it was just sort of this, this all encompassing, very easy to use, um, sort of minimal fees um, platform. So, you know, obviously the, the desire is that we grow and grow and grow and, um, and and our revenue grows and grows and grows. And so if that's the case, then Substack was essentially the most affordable platform for us to use because you can have an unlimited number of subscribers um, and they will still only ever take the same fee. Uh, whereas there were other platforms that, that the more subscribers you had, the more paying subscribers you had, um, the more of a cut that they would take of your of your money, which we don't like. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that kind of leads us on. I mean, I really like Substack just because I found it quite, I mean, I've had the odd technical issue, like a link disappearing or something, but that might be me. But uh, generally it's quite um, intuitive and easy to use. I kind of just set up and, you know, put our branding in and off we went. It only took me a few hours to kind of get it all how I um, wanted it. And now it's just, a you know, it's just the writing and it's kind of runs really easily. Um, Alistair, what kind of thoughts did you have around kind of which platform to go with? Um, and did, was generating income kind of part of that decision? Uh, I, I guess laterally it was, yeah. Um, 
at the risk of becoming a, a Substack fan club in this podcast, I <laughs> knew Substack, it, it probably is the best, to be honest. Um, not to sort of totally chuck them in it, but I, I was using MailChimp and uh, it, it just didn't work for me. I think maybe Lottie might have alluded to the the frustration of um, your emails just not reaching people. So you spend a lot of time writing this thing, you know, crafting what you think is quite a good thing, then it just doesn't seem to hit people. It, 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 and, and I don't even mean just ending up in spam boxes. It just doesn't get through. Uh, and, and MailChimp, for one, can really offer a, a good explanation for that. So when, after about a month of doing it and it taking about 10 hours a week, I realised, you know, that's a day a week, I realised I did have to start monetizing. I, I looked around to see what were their options. One was using Patreon and tying it to a different platform, but it felt a bit clunky. And also, I think, because Patreon's quite well established, it, it maybe was going to take a wee bit more in terms of commission. Uh, and I just landed on Substack. I didn't really have particularly high expectations because I'd been just very frustrated by newsletter platforms in general. Uh, but I haven't really looked back. It, it's not perfect. Um, I don't maybe it's just me. Uh, I, I find their, their customer service can be a wee bit slow to get back uh, when, when you've got issues. I think I, I think in general, it, it's overall kind of user experience is, is simple and it's quite clean and uh, it, it takes less of less of your money, less of my money, um, which is which is always nice. And how did you, Alistair, go about that decision of going from a free newsletter to one that was paid for? And, and how do you get the balance right in kind of knowing what to charge and, and, and whether people will be willing to pay for it? Without sounding like a, you know, like a total virtue signal, I, I did genuinely never really want it or not intend it because I, I thought I could keep doing just you know, 45 minutes a night, half an hour a night, and just naively thought, naively thought I'd just chuck them into a newsletter. And the whole thing would take me not a lot more time-wise than it was doing it for myself. But as everyone here can, can, can I'm sure, comment on, just the, the nuts and bolts of creating a newsletter does take time. So as I say, after about a month of it taking, approaching a day, a working day, a week of my time, I realised I had to go paid. Um, and yeah, and from there, it was about finding which platform uh, offered me the biggest chunk, effectively, of, of my own earnings, where which platform took the least amount of commission, uh, but without sacrificing quality. And I feel that was Substack. Yeah, yeah and I think you have kind of hit on a, a really reasonable amount. I have to say, it's kind of the equivalent of someone buying you a virtual coffee yeah. or something, and you only need kind of one commission and you've paid for years worth of the, the newsletter so. yeah I, I really hope so because uh I, I do feel there's a genuine sense of solidarity between freelance journalists particularly this year because you know our, our industry like a lot of industries has gone right through the ringer with covid and whatnot uh and i really really had a, had a strong sense i didn't want to fleece anyone i really really didn't um so i, I just uh, the minimum that Substack um, was offering. Uh, I maybe shouldn't say this, but I had Substack let me set a lower price, I probably would have, but uh, I, I, I set literally the rock bottom. Um, I remember putting in a price and it came back with an error message, you know, this is too cheap, need to set such and such. Uh, so yeah, I, I basically went in low. Um, and I guess if we're getting all kind of, you know, 
Wolf of Wall Street about it. I, I, I was hoping economies of scale that are, are low value, but lots and lots, you know, hundreds maybe, you know, at some point in the future, thousands of people would subscribe to it then in time, you know, that, that low figure, kind of 65p a week would start being quite a substantial chunk of my, my annual salary. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't realise, again, that they're, they set the minimum. Um, and, and Lottie, is yours the same? It, or if, is it just on that kind of minimum monthly rate? So uh, our standard price is uh, £5 a month, um, but we're running a 20% or 15%, I can't remember how much, uh, discount um, until the end of this year. So it's £3.50 a month, which is obviously the minimum um, on Substack um, until the end of December. Um, largely because we we knew that as a, as a very new newsletter um, without without a clear structure like Alistair's newsletter have, has and, and like other newsletters like Anna Cadrerado and um, Sean Meads who also run lots of like professional freelancery newsletters um, without the sort of structure and reputation that they've got um we felt a bit uncomfortable asking people to pay us money when they didn't really know what we were going to offer them um so we wanted to start as low as possible so we, we figured we'd start with five pounds and, and and make it a discounted rate until the end of this year and then in january the rate will go up um but hopefully by that point enough people will know about us and um will understand you know what what we have to offer and, and we will have a better idea of, of where we're going to take the newsletter as well by that point so we can properly communicate how how your money will be returned to you through through valuable content yeah i mean that actually brings me very nicely onto my uh, next question which was going to be about uh, generating an audience so we have had uh, people uh, kind of ask us about this um kind of how you how do you generate an audience and i have to say even though we do have this kind of ready-made community not as many people yet, I mean, we've only been going a few weeks, have signed up to the newsletter as I thought might. So I think it it comes back to what you were saying, Alistair, about patience. But I wonder if you've got any other kind of advice or um, kind of what to do, what not to do in terms of building an audience. Yeah, I, I think you have to be very proactive and seek out your audience. And it, it will take time. It's an investment of time, I would say. Uh, as I said, I, you know, I, I am a, an active freelance journalist, but before I started my newsletter, I, I didn't really, you know, the other newsletters weren't, the jobs newsletters weren't really on my radar. So that made me think, how, how many other, you know, sort of active, self-proclaimed freelance journalists are going about their daily business without realising there's newsletters out there to make, make it, you know, their work easier? So I have kind of set a goal to, to find those people. Um, so so I, I, I seek out other freelance journalists on, on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, uh, as well as other kind of content writers and copywriters. Um, and I, I, I guess can kind of advertise to them personally in a sense. Uh, th that's been a bit of a shift in the last few weeks or months, whereas before I was doing a bit of a, a kind of trawler maneuver um, and I guess I, you alluded to the fact that I posted in your group, um, not, not to say that I wasn't specifically looking for your fantastic group on Facebook, I was, I wanted to, to, to offer something to your wonderful followers and subscribers, but uh, I, I was kind of casting quite a wide net to, to collect as many people as I could. Uh, I guess that works in the early days, 
Uh, but then after that, that graph starts to tail off a wee bit, starts to flatten out. You do need to specify who you're who you're trying to get. So I, I would say targeting people, invest a wee bit of time, target people you think might be personally interested in in, in your newsletter, and then kind of advertise to them in a in a specific sense. Yeah, it's knowing who your target audience is, isn't it? Um, mm. Like you say, you can go quite broad in the beginning, but then it's it's finding that target um, within specific communities. Is that the sort of approach you've taken as well, Lottie? Um, no, not really. I think I, um, I mean, I, I've always been quite a vocal person in the travel media anyway. I've um, got a fairly decent following on on Twitter, which is is largely other travel media and travel professionals. Um, so I think my my initial approach was to just sort of share it with my friends and my my freelance colleagues. Um, and uh, from there, I guess um, you know they they then shared it with their friends and colleagues. So we, it was really my own network that um, made up the bulk of our subscribers initially. Um, and then and and since then we've you know we've done a lot of sharing it on social and stuff and um some people have shared it in some facebook groups and bits so that's that's been great um but really we didn't make a huge amount of effort to go out and find our subscribers initially we sort of just wanted to um you know roll with the newsletter and feel our way through creating this newsletter and the kind of content that we we should be doing and the kind of content people wanted um now we're very much in you know a big drive to find subscribers so we've actually just run an, an advert in um sean mead's freelance writing jobs newsletter which um brought in an unbelievable amount of subscribers and paid subscribers as well which was amazing to see um so we we were now actively going out and spending some of the money that we've made we've got um a fair chunk of paid subscribers now uh, that bring in um, a nice amount of cash for us every month. And so now we're reinvesting all of that in, in finding new subscribers and, and getting a wider audience um, through advertising in other newsletters, advertising on Facebook. Um, and, and yeah, I think in terms of, sort of establishing an audience from the beginning, um, you sort of need to, if you, if you don't already have an idea of who that audience is, and if you don't already have a, have, a bit of an audience for what it whatever it is that you're writing about i think that maybe you need to reconsider launching a newsletter right now i don't know if it's worth you know might maybe trying to establish yourself as a as a voice on that topic or as as a as a person who can speak on that topic um before you launch into you know publishing a newsletter yeah because it is an investment it's an investment in your time um you know it's not just a case of you know <laughs> writing a blog post and off you go um you know it takes planning you talk about kind of plans that you've got for next year um you know there's the strategy and thought behind it so you know i think you might um you know it's not a case of just i'd like to write about whatever and head off to substack and off you go and it's going to be a roaring success you know there's all that kind of strategy and development and planning that goes into into it yeah, and it's known what kind of newsletter you want as well, because I think, you know, I suppose with ours, it's more driving people to the other things that we do rather than necessarily about the newsletter itself, although the newsletter will have other resources within it. And there's quite a few newsletters around like that, particularly associated with podcasts. 
but then your newsletters are more kind of I suppose standalone in their own in their own right um and so it's it's kind of recognizing what type of newsletter that you've got um and I, I just wondered if there's been any kind of particular issues particular maybe technical issues that either of you have come across I mean you've mentioned kind of trying different platforms but now you've kind of settled a bit more is there still anything that you've had issues with or in hindsight you would have done differently can we start with you Lottie yeah um I think that learning about spam filters was something that I never ever um thought I would have to do if I was running a newsletter and I and I don't know why obviously I have a spam filter in my gmail inbox and stuff goes in there all the time and I'm like why is that why is that in there um so we initially when we first started out we found that our um newsletters weren't reaching everybody uh, lots of people were saying they weren't receiving them it was quite frustrating um and uh we couldn't really figure out why I enlisted the help of um Sean Mees Williams, not just Sean Mees, sorry. Um, <laughs> so I, I enlisted Sean's help and um, she took a quick look at some of my newsletters and she was like, okay, boom, boom, boom. Here are three things that you're doing wrong that are triggering spam filters and will mean that people will not receive your email. And I was absolutely blown away by the fact that these simple little things like having an emoji in the subject line actually can damage your chances of getting through the spam filter or having the word, um, paid for or get paid or making money can trigger a spam filter um and and she taught me a little bit about how spam filters work i then went out and did loads more research um and and found that we were basically ticking all of the spam boxes with some of our content in the first few editions of our newsletter um so a combination of of moving from those um older those other platforms like mailer light um, and ConvertKit, that was the other one that we used. Um, moving from those over to Substack, plus a better understanding of how not to be spammy. Um, now our, our newsletter has a, a, a pretty much 100% success rate in terms of reaching people's inboxes. And how about you, Alistair? What things have you had to overcome? I, I, I would agree very much with Lottie. I think all newsletter writers would. The big thing is getting your, your newsletter to people. Um, so, uh, as Lottie said, there's uh, the issue of getting your, your newsletter into inboxes. Um, there's also the, the open rate, which is the other big number, you know, that it gets there, but do people actually bother to open it? Uh, so what I do is, I, I have a pretty good, I have about a 70% open rate um, for my free one and sort of more of a 90 or so for the paid one, which you'd expect people are, are paying for it. Um, but I do send a, 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 a Two days after I sent out a newsletter, um, I go into Substack and I see who hasn't opened it. And I just send out a short email say, from my own kind of personal Gmail account saying, I, I see that uh, the system says you haven't opened the newsletter, but you signed up. Um, just double checking you're receiving it. Okay. Then uh, at least three quarters of those people who get back to me say, oh, no, we haven't received the newsletter at all. Um, so then I, 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 I send them a copy of the newsletter, but I also CC my Substack email address, which is you know, the server from which my newsletter goes to. Uh, so then if they then subsequently reply, they are their email account is communicating with Substack directly. Uh, so future in the future, they should theoretically 
get the newsletter, it should go straight to their inbox, it shouldn't have any problems. And I find that works well. Um, just having that little kind of personal uh, dialogue with people who haven't opened and not being, you know, kind of invasive or, you know, sort of nagging them or being a bit of a nuisance, but just simply, yeah, you haven't opened this, just double checking it's not like a technical thing that you haven't received it. Um, so I, I find doing that takes a wee bit of time again, but it's all about an investment of time, as you said, Lily. Um, doing that has a positive sort of response in terms of my open rate and I feel my open rate's pretty decent and certainly would be worse if I wasn't spending the time personally reaching out to people to make sure they were receiving it okay. That's Both of you have given such good advice there and I think it that underpins so much um, kind of the work that goes into doing a newsletter and kind of, you know, when people are paying those small fees that you put up there, that it's not just kind of a cash cow for you, that you're investing so much time in the week uh, kind of creating this useful resource um, and that, you know, there's a lot of work that goes on on behind the scenes. Yeah, definitely. Right, shall we move on to our listener dilemma of the week? We will, we will. So this is a new section of the podcast where um, we put your questions to our guests, fix a problem you've been having or just give our thoughts on something you've been pondering. Yeah, so this week's dilemma is one we received um, via a webinar we were running recently, um, but it's quite a useful topic that comes up quite a bit. And it's about how do you come up with ideas, especially when you spot an opportunity or a call for pitches and you need an idea quickly? Um, I'm going to get in here first <laughs> and answer this. Um, the easiest way, I think, is to be keeping a list of ideas all the time. I'm, I mean, I have a Google Doc and whenever I have an idea, I log it on there. Uh, just a quick brief outline and then I make a note of types of publications that might be interested in it. I mean, this is very much for evergreen ideas that all things that are coming up in the future. Um, so that if there is a call for pitches on a specific topic and I've already got it there, it's kind of ready to go. So it's in many ways, it's not necessarily about coming up with an idea straight away. It's just about logging ideas as you have them. Emma, what? Yes. Any uh, well, I definitely do this. I think this is the kind of the biggest bit of advice that we can give on this. Um, kind of a secondary thing that I do sometimes if I come across an opportunity that I think, oh, you know, that sounds good. I'd like to write for them is immediately go and do some research into that publication look at what they've covered recently because apart from anything else you don't want to re-pitch something that they've already covered and you want to make sure your pitch is targeted to that publication and um, but that can also kind of trigger some ideas as well and um, when you just look at the kind of type of stories the type of stuff that they do um Lottie have you got any pearls of wisdom to add to this um I think so um, so go down a slightly different tact if it's a if it's a call for pitches on something specific um, like a specific topic, um, I would, I, I would write that topic on a piece of paper and then just write down as many questions I have on that topic. So imagine, imagine I'm the reader and, and I want questions answered. I would just jot down as many questions about that, as many, as many problems. I, th I think 
my, my way of uh, coming up with ideas is often about solving problems. Like, is there a problem I can solve? Is there something I can shed light on? Is there something that we don't know about that I can investigate? Um, so I would ask as many questions as I can around that topic and then and then do a little bit of research and maybe explore the publication, like you said, see what other stuff they've published, see what formats some of those questions might fit into um, and, and go from there really. And then, I mean, another really simple tip is just uh, look at the headlines of the day. Is there another take? Is there another angle? Have you got a specific angle that you could cover? Can you make it local? Can you make it global? Can you make it, um, you know, interesting for a national, that kind of thing. And also, you know, local, local problems, can you make them national, those sorts of things. Excellent. Um, I think we're being a bit mean to Alistair coming to him last year because we've probably covered yeah. quite a lot of the ways. But have you got any uh, uh, any extra advice here for us? Uh, one thing I do if I come across a story a week and interesting idea, and I'm not sure this is good advice, even a good habit, but um, I, I I sometimes go to numerous editors I've worked with in the past, and, and before even spending time fleshing out a full pitch, because God knows that, that that takes ages uh, to do that, write a nice proper pitch, um, I, I'll, I'll just drop the idea in like a, a sentence and, and just say, look, uh, if this you know, piques your curiosity at all, um, I'll happily flesh out a, a fuller pitch and get back to you. So I'll, I'll maybe uh, do that to four or five or six editors, uh, sort of just say, here's like a one-liner, if this is the kind of thing you'd be interested in, get back to me. Um, so that I find that I do have a, a running sort of Google Doc of ideas, but I find that is often a bit of a, a bit of a kind of, uh, a cemetery for, uh, for for stories which could have been and, and never do. So I find if I'm, I'm getting them out into the ether, I get them into editors' sort of consciousnesses, uh, however kind of cursory uh, in a kind of very brief way, I find that's helpful because it, it means I'm not going to let that idea slip away. Or if five editors either ignore me or get back to me saying, uh, no, thank you, I, I know I can put that one to bed. Yeah, that's a good idea, just just get those ideas out quick but not necessarily fleshed out and then if they're interested you know you can do your research and, and put that detail together brilliant well I think this has been really really useful and I think for anyone who's um wanting to start a newsletter um there's been loads of excellent advice there so thank you very much to Alistair and Lottie for coming on today and for sharing all their wisdom thanks for having me thank you very much yeah, so if you want to know more about us, including our newsletter, then you can head to freelancingforjournalist.com or follow us on Twitter where we are at freelancing4. You can also follow us individually. I'm at Lily Cantor. And I'm at Emma Journo. And don't forget to join our Freelancing for Journalists Facebook community where you can find lots more tips and advice. Um, if you appreciate this podcast or you found it useful, you can buy us a virtual cuppa to say thanks or... Uh, coffee page is our pinned tweet and as always you can like rate and subscribe to the podcast or even leave us a review um, and I'd also like to say a really big thank you to all our listeners in India um, India is now our second largest audience um, outside of the UK so just want to say a special thank you to our listeners there yeah so this is actually our last episode of series three and um, so you know we love doing the podcast and we already have plans to be back for series four we're hoping to start recording that 
really soon in the new year and um, so there won't be as big a gap this time we hope yeah yeah we hope to crack on with that soon um and just lastly a little thank you to our producer richard wilson who sorts out any edits for us but we were going to say goodbye now so goodbye until series four yeah bye till then bye